The teaching for this evening comes from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. This is God's Word. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this evening we're going to take a look at these four verses from Colossians chapter 3. And I think it's fairly uh, obvious, even if uh, Christianity is uh, somewhat new to you, or you don't know much about it, that the death and resurrection of Jesus is at the very heart and soul of Christianity and without it, Paul, the Apostle Paul says elsewhere in his letters that without the resurrection, our faith is futile, it's worthless, it's of no value at all, and you are still in your sins. And as significant and as important as the death and resurrection of Jesus really is, my question for us tonight is, do you know that? Do you know what the resurrection means for you. In addition to it being part of your creed, perhaps, that you confess that that's true, you believe it's true, the, th- the question I want us to wrestle with tonight from this passage is, do you know what it means for you? And do you know how to apply it to your very own life on a daily basis? That's what I want to try to help us with tonight from these few verses. And the passage that we're looking at tonight, it's built on an assumption. And it's an assumption that runs throughout all of Paul's letters and, in fact, throughout the entire New Testament. And even if we were to press further, this theme is is seen throughout the entire Bible. And it's this idea that to be a Christian means that you are united to Christ, that you're united to Jesus And therefore, everything that is true of Jesus is true of you. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to put your faith in Jesus. It means that you are now in him. That you've ceased to trust in your own efforts, in your own identity, in your own performance. And you have said, I cannot make it on my own. And in fact, I am lost on my own. I need Jesus and therefore... You're united to him in faith. And so Paul says then in verse 4, he says, Christ is your life. That would be a phrase worth pondering for several days. What does it mean that Christ is your life? My guess is that most, if not all of us, find that statement, that Christ is your life, there in verse 4, a difficult one to grasp. Instead, we might say something like this, that my career is my life, or my family is my life, or my children are my life, or my money is my life, or my reputation is my life. When we say something, my kids are my life, what do we we mean when we say that? What we mean is they have become, whatever you might say that is, the very center of your life. The thing around which everything revolves, it's the focus of your life. And in fact, it becomes the very motivation for why you get up out of bed every day. 
And Paul has good news for us here when he says that the death and resurrection means that Christ is your life. That to be connected to him means that he can now become the very focal point of your life, the very center of your existence and your identity and the very motivation for why you get up out of bed every day. So what I want to do is try to look at this passage and I want to look with you at the call of the resurrection and why that is important and then how you can persevere in it. We're going to look at the call of the resurrection, why that's important, and then how can you persevere in it. So first, look here in verse 1 and 2. Paul starts out, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So Paul here, very straightforwardly, is telling you to do something, to to seek after that which is above. To set your mind on what is above, where Jesus is. In a, in a, in a phrase, we could say this is a call to heavenly mindedness. And right away, I think we're confronted with, with a problem if you start to think about this. Because what it sounds like is Paul is saying that Christians, if they're really going to be Faithful, if they really do understand the death and resurrection of Jesus, that they actually aren't concerned with things here and now, the nitty-gritty. And in fact, if you think about the way that we talk, usually we'll say things, well, that, that person, they're a really down-to-earth person. Well, usually what we mean by that is that they're grounded, they're thoughtful. They're engaged. They're accessible. There are people that you can come up alongside of and rub shoulders with and feel like you belong. They're down to earth. They're not indifferent. They're not pretentious. They're not off-putting. They're comfortable. Those are good people. Down to earth people. But you ever heard the, the phrase before uh, someone described as they are so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good? we have a little bit of a problem here because Paul is saying, no, 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 actually, to be heavenly minded is what it means to truly live. And and we didn't read verses 5 through 17 that come after this passage, but if you have a chance, feel free to go read it later. The reason Paul calls you and the resurrection calls you to this heavenly mindedness, to set your mind on Christ, on things above, is that it's in fact the people who set their minds on Christ who begin to actually experience something amazing. They begin to, they are the people who begin to experience things like anger and bitterness and greed and sexual immorality, and deception. All of those things that rip households apart, that rip relationships apart, that rip communities apart, that rip nations apart, those begin to lose their hold. They begin to lose their hold on you. Because Paul says, 
When you know who you are in Jesus and you set your mind on him and your life is built on him, you are then able to put off those things. And so Paul's claim here is that, in fact, to be heavenly-minded is how you become a very down-to-earth person. To be heavenly-minded, to set your mind on Jesus, risen from the dead, and to marinate in all that that means for us, that we'll, get, we'll touch on a little bit as we move through, you actually become a person who is able to engage in the most difficult parts of life with grace and humility and kindness and gentleness. You become a person of forgiveness, of humility, of compassion. All the things that all of us would say we would love to see here on earth. And if we saw them, the world would actually cease to have the pain and the suffering that we see, that we experience. So Paul's point for us here at the very beginning, the call of the resurrection is to a life of heavenly mindedness that actually makes you into a person of joy and a person of peace who's able to move out into the world in freedom and power. And therefore, if this is true, what Paul is saying, that to set your minds on things above where Jesus is, at the right hand of God, if it's true, that that actually transforms you, changes you from the inside out, makes you more like Jesus, and that makes you a blessing to others, this is really important. And the question is, why? Why is this, this call of the resurrection, to set your mind on things above, so important? And we're going to look here at verse 3. But I want to, I want to back into verse 3 by first just saying the reason this is important is because following Jesus, it can often feel like you're going backwards. If you've been a Christian for very long... Or if you're not a Christian, but you might know a Christian, and they're honest with you, what they'll probably say is, you know, if you ask me why I'm a Christian, there are many days when I might say to you, you know, I'm not really sure I know. (laughs) It's not going very well. In fact, the longer I'm in this journey of faith with Jesus, the more weak I feel, uh, the more exposed I feel, the more vulnerable I feel, the less growth I seem to see, or perhaps you may have experienced times when in in, an effort to follow after Jesus when he says to take up his cross and follow him, you experience the consequences of naming the name of Jesus. You may have lost friendships. You may have lost promotions. You may have lost opportunities. Following Jesus often can feel like you're going backwards. And so when those seasons come, the temptation will always be to look for a way out. And whenever that happens, it always is the case that it shifts your mindset 
your outlook on life, the way you look at yourself, the way you understand who you really are, the way you look at the world and other human beings, it shifts your mindset away from Christ and his resurrection and the promise of new life that it brings. And in fact, the Colossians, they're a vivid example of this. If we had time, you could look back in chapter 2, which is the bulk of, of the letter where Paul is addressing the situation in Colossae. And the church in Colossae was similar to, to other churches, particularly the church in Galatia, where uh, they had begun to adopt various religious practices and rules, uh, many of which had a uh, close similarity to uh, the uh, Jewish religion, the practices of the Old Testament, uh, following various food laws, following various uh, holy days, calendar, a, a religious calendar, all these religious practices that uh, they began to follow and to be uh, persuaded of. And they all seemed to appear fairly wise and helpful. They were stringent. Sometimes strictness can feel like progress. But Paul's point for us is that not all that is spiritual is either healthy or holy. See, Paul's call here to set your mind on Jesus, it's important because when things begin to struggle, when we begin to wonder, is, is this all really good news or not? We will be tempted to look to other ways, other ways to find significance and meaning. And therefore, Paul here in verse 3, he gives us the single best response to these seasons in our lives. When he says in verse 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And almost... Very similar language in Romans 6, verse 11. He says, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, what does he mean when he says you have died to sin? As he says that to his very living congregation. You've died to sin. You have died. You are in Christ. Your life is hidden in him. Paul mentions this a number of times in his letters, and we see it elsewhere in the New Testament as well. And at the most basic level, I want to try to be as, as simple as I can. When Paul says, you have died to sin, what he means is that the power of sin over your life has been broken. Now, here's the difficulty. That's true according to Paul in the scriptures, whether it feels like that or not. Paul is telling us, when, we, when he says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ, what he's saying is that your old self, your old life, the life that is so familiar with sin, in fact, can't escape it, can't get out from under it, is imprisoned by it, that life is over. And you are now hidden with Christ. He is now your life. There is a new life. The old life has died. You are now a new creature in Christ. A new creation in Christ. Now, let me try to illustrate this for you. 
Um, perhaps you might remember if you were a kid and you uh, attended one school, maybe your family moved, and you had to go to another school in another neighborhood or another city. And you have no friends yet. The school is, is mapped out very differently. You have to relearn everything. You need to relearn how to get to school, how to get to classes, who the teachers are. You need new friends. It's a whole new life. Or perhaps, if you've ever spent any amount of time uh, not living in the United States, living in another culture somewhere, it is utterly disorienting. It's utterly disorienting. You don't know where the grocery store is. You don't know where the pharmacy is. This is assuming they even have those there. You don't know how to get around. You don't even know the language. You don't know anything. And what is most familiar to you is the life that you can't live anymore. And perhaps desperately would like to get back to. That's kind of like what it means it's like to be a Christian. Is that to be in Christ means you have been brought into a whole new world, a whole new life, a whole new reality where you are now not who you were before and being in Christ, united to him, often will feel like I just would like my old life back. And in fact, so much of the Christian life is turning from that, saying no to that, and turning to Jesus, and becoming the person who you've already been declared to be. Becoming who you already are in Christ. That's what Paul is telling us here when he says, you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. That's his one-sentence response to anything that comes in your life that would seek to persuade you that Jesus just isn't quite enough. That you need to supplement what he has done a little bit here and a little bit there. See, what Paul says earlier in chapter 1, he says, God has delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved Son. And then he says about the kingdom of, his, of, of this son, of Jesus, he says, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's probably the single best sentence in all of Paul's writings to, to show that he believed Jesus was really God. In Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and therefore, for you to be united to him by faith means... You have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. What is he saying? This is so important. What he's saying is that in Christ you have been given life to the full. Don't for one moment take your focus off him. Not for one moment. Do not be persuaded in the least that he's holding out on you. That he would willingly go to the cross for sinners like you and me and then be stingy with you. It doesn't make any sense. The fullness of God dwells in Jesus and you 
If you are a Christian, you are in him. Now, I think arguably one of the best ways uh, to learn a new city, I've done this here in Birmingham a lot, is uh, to try to find all the shortcuts you can, especially when there's a lot of traffic. I know Mountain Brook way better than I ever thought I would, uh, getting from here to our house uh, just over the mountain in Vestavia. And um, it's a great way to learn how to get around in the city is to find all of the shortcuts. But what Paul is telling us is that there simply are no shortcuts in our relationship with God. And yet we're faced with them every day. Every day. To live in a way that is not actually true to who you are. So how can we persevere then, lastly, in setting our minds on Christ? Well, first of all, look in verse 4. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, what that means in a nutshell is, Jesus is your hope of glory. He is your life. You belong to him. It means he will never leave you or forsake you. So committed to you is he that when he appears, you will be with him. Now, with that in mind, how do you persevere in setting your mind on Jesus? Well, first of all, we need to remember the path that Jesus took to the cross. Perhaps you may remember in Mark chapter 14, this is the the night Jesus was betrayed, and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying. And he prays, Abba, Father, remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus came. He stared down the cross. And he was honest. He was transparent with his Father. And he said, in effect, if we could, he said, I would really like a shortcut here. I'd really like a shortcut. But what I want more is I want what you want. And you see, Jesus came not to take shortcuts because you were so important to him. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, despising its shame. And the beautiful news of the gospel is that joy of which the scriptures speak isn't some vague, nebulous thing. It's sinners. It's you and me. Jesus came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And he has already succeeded in staying the course. And he promises to do the same for you. So then ask yourself, this, think, think for a moment about this, about setting your mindset. Where, what, are you, where, what are you focusing on? Where is your heart oriented? Or towards what is your heart oriented? What occupies your mind and your attention? Ask yourself this question. I think this is a great question to ask yourself almost every day, at any point in the day. Which side of the resurrection am I living on? Think about that for a moment. 
Which side of the resurrection are you living on? Think about Jesus' disciples prior to his death and resurrection. What were they like? They were fearful. They were doubting. They were proud. They were after their own status. What were they like after the resurrection? They were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. They were enduring suffering and hardship for for Jesus' sake and for his people. You see, to live on this side of the resurrection, the side of the resurrection where Jesus is alive and, and reigning, means that you're seeking the kingdom of God. There's hope in weakness. There's joy in suffering. There's freedom in serving. To live on the, before the resurrection, on that side, is really to seek the kingdom of self. And it'll be characterized by fear and worry, cowardice, anger, greed, and selfishness. So which side of the resurrection are you living on? And in order to help you practice thinking about that, what can you say to yourself? What does this passage give us? Notice what we have here in this whole passage. I just want to list for you. I want to gather up for you all that we're told about our identity in Christ in order to help you make it your own. Paul, we are told here that I make it your own. I'm putting it in first person for you. I have died with Christ, Paul says. I have been raised with Christ. My life is now hidden with Christ. I will appear with Christ in glory. So what does it mean for you to set your mind on things above? It means for you to make your own that you have died with Christ, that you've been raised with him, that your life is now hidden with him, and that when he appears, you will appear with him. So remember where we began. To be a Christian means that you are united to Jesus. And that means that he is now your life. That means his life, his death, and his resurrection covers your past, empowers your present, and it secures your future. And therefore, that is why we need to set our minds on things above where Christ is at the right hand of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that the good news of this passage, what it has to say about us, though we are sinners, yet when united to Jesus by faith, we are new people. We have a whole new identity. We now belong to the age to come. We now are empowered by, indwelt by, the resurrected Jesus. Father, we ask that these truths that are so profound and deep and rich would be truths that we would return to again and again. And Father, we ask for the grace to set our minds on things above where Jesus is in order that we might be people filled with compassion and love and forgiveness for one another, for our neighbors, for this city, and for this world. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.